Welcome on in to Empower Talks. This is the podcast where we talk about careers with people across the insurance industry. In today's episode of Empower Talks, I've got Deborah Margolis with us, who works in the city, although our relationship predates that by quite some way. Deborah is now a senior associate at GQ Littler, who are an employment law firm supporting businesses all over the city and much further afield. Today, we discuss quite quitting. Deborah shared an article about this on LinkedIn and it caught some attention. And it's a topic that I found quite intriguing, particularly on TikTok. So we'll explore what it is, why it's been talked about so much, and if we think it's the right thing to be doing in the conversations, maybe quite interesting because we do kind of change our minds a little bit. I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome, Deborah. Hi, Sam. Thanks for having me. Brilliant to have you here. Um, I'm going to give everyone the backstory that I always do when I introduce you to people. (laughs) So Deborah is actually the person I've known the longest in the city by quite a way. I've, God, I would have been five or six when we first met. Yeah, that sounds about right. Five or six. Yeah. We were in the same school, primary school. Uh, in a little town called Seaford, we should mention a little Seaford shout out. It doesn't get many shout outs, does it? I bet it's an um, like absolute hub for the insurance sector. <laughs> yeah, there's oh, there's a whole five people in Seaford that work in insurance, and we were in chess club together at school, which Deborah Thanks, loves Sam. that I mention to people all the time. When, every when we, single uh, time, yeah, every time, Sam. <laughs> I've got photos of you. You don't have photos of me. <laughs> I want the photos. Yeah, but we were, we were, we were the only girls in the chess team and we, um, we were pretty good, weren't we? Yeah, you were, you were A team. I think I was B team, but uh, yeah, I think we smashed it. We, we were, we were very good. I do actually still have a uh, medal in my little memory box. Um, I should have dug it out for today. I will yeah, find that I for actually, you one day. My mum's got mine. I'll ask her to dig out some trophies and raise it. Excellent. But yeah, so, yeah chess, there goes our um, sweet cred. Yeah. <laughs> I've probably said this to you, but I loved playing chess as a kid. I don't play it now, although I, I like to. It just isn't something that fits into your life so much. Although I'm about to teach Emily, she's going to learn how to play for sure. Because I can remember my colleague, Antonia, I think you've met Antonia, I used to mm-hmm. work with. Uh, she randomly one day said to me, like, did you play chess as a child? I was like, yes. How, how did you know that? And she said, which I think was a really... Interesting observation. Did you always seem to be thinking six steps ahead? Oh. I was like, oh, that is a thing, isn't it? Quite logical as well, quite strategic. Yeah. That's you. All over. It was like, oh, that could go wrong. It's like, yeah, but if that goes wrong, we'll do that. And then we can do that. And we can do that. And it's kind of a natural habit of almost the like lining up journeys in your mind. And yeah, it probably did come from chess. Yeah, I guess it's problem solving as well. So maybe you need to do a lunchtime chess club to... Like the old days. Yeah. I can see that being popular. Yeah. Yeah. But don't worry, listeners, we're not going to talk about chess for the uh, entire episode. Um, uh, Deborah um, is an employment lawyer. I am indeed. Yeah. So we are going to talk about the topic of quiet quitting. Yeah. So it's an interesting one. I think it has quite emotive reactions and people feel very strongly both ways. So hopefully what we'll try to do today is not offend too many people and not put our own opinion just want to sort of put out there what both sides are and sort of what it's about and give some hopefully it's a few pearls of wisdom but hopefully nothing too controversial it's something that's been talked about on tiktok but it's kind of making mainstream conversation i think a lot of people are either new to the term or don't really know the term and equally it doesn't actually mean what it sounds like it means. It's not about people quitting. <laughs> so do you want to um, describe what you see quiet quitting as? Yeah, so um, the way that I see it, quiet quitting's a bit of a trend. As you say, it's been quite hot on TikTok, um, where employees make the conscious decision to reduce the amount of effort they're putting into their jobs to sort of do the bare minimum to sort of get by and not get into trouble, you know, by dipping below what's expected, but just sort of do what 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 they need to to get by. You know, don't not putting your head up for additional work, leaving on time. You know, if there's a call at the end of the day, just saying, sorry, I can't make it. 
it's it's sort of an attitude of saying, you know what, I've had enough of what some people call a toxic work culture, the sort of hustle culture. People just saying, you know what, I'm going to do what I need. Work is not the most important thing in my life. So it's stripping it back to nine to five. I don't want to work any extra time. I don't want to do anything outside my job description. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to go outside my comfort zone. I just want to do get what by. I have to do in order to not get fired. Exactly. And still get paid. Yeah. 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 And so there's loads of different reasons why I think people are doing this. COVID and the pandemic has a a lot to to do with it. I think during COVID, people were reassessing their priorities and they were thinking about shifting their focus, maybe to spend more time with their friends, more time with their family, and also more time focusing on themselves because mental health has become a really hot topic and really important to a lot of people recently and people might have suffered during COVID. So I think it's a bit of a reaction to that. It's the classic, do you live to work or work to live? And I think it's a reshifting of priorities for people. I think there's a bit of glamorization on TikTok as a whole, which is um, maybe exaggerated the view of how common this is or, or mm. maybe reduce the impacts of it. So TikTok knows based on how many views a video gets or how much interaction it gets, it will see it as good content. It will push it out more. Mm-hmm. So if you are doing a video that is essentially saying hey, do you know what? I don't really want to do anymore for my job. I just want to be really basic. I want to just do what I've got to do and let's see how that goes. A lot of people might listen to that and go, yeah, it's interesting. Let's see how that goes. Mm. So you'll get a lot of uh, engagement, which means TikTok will push it out even more. So the annoying thing about how good the algorithm is, is once you are down a rabbit hole, you are in an echo chamber. Mm -hmm. So anybody who has watched one video on Quiet Quitting, will all of a sudden be seeing all of these videos and it will feel as though kind of everybody's doing this and therefore it's normal, so why would you not? Or that it's always talked about as though it's a positive thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think there is um, a real bias towards it on TikTok that is not... Um, it normalises it, doesn't it? Yeah. If that's what yeah. you're seeing all the time, everyone around you... So if you see on, on TikTok or whatever... Everyone else is quite quitting. No one else is putting extra effort in. You think, why should I? You know, if everyone else is doing it, why am I the mug working till, you know, nine, ten, you know, blood, sweat and tears into my job? Why should I do that? It's not getting me any further. Why should I? Yeah, why should I bother? Nine, ten says the uh, experience of a lawyer. <laughs> nine, ten. Yeah. Six, half six, maybe seven. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> From the side of insurance. Nine, yeah. ten. Yeah, that, that's, that's uh, depends. What's your experience of quiet quitting? How are you seeing that as an employment lawyer? To be completely honest with you, I think the whole point about quiet quitting is that people don't go around telling everyone that they don't at least at work go around telling their bosses, by the way, I'm quiet quitting. I'm not doing that. Sorry, you are for volunteers. No, I'm not going to put my hand up because I'm quiet quitting. I feel like it's a bit more of a private thing. So when we maybe see things from our clients, when maybe it's maybe the individual is quiet quitting, I think sometimes that gets presented to us as an underperformance. And maybe it's not always obvious that it's a deliberate move, that somebody's deciding not to volunteer for things or to do that extra bit that their employer might expect from them. So to be honest, I don't think it always gets presented or viewed by the employer as quiet quitting. I don't think they always notice. So it would potentially be the situation where the employer knows that they've got the capability and the potential and potentially they've seen them do things in the past mm. and now there's a dip in performance yeah but the dip in performance is can somehow maybe be attributed back to morale or some yeah absolutely um, a change in environment rather than the fact that they're not capable to do this job because the evidence is there that they've done it in the past yeah exactly I think there's so many reasons why how it might look you know it might look like the employee is not motivated it might look like the manager's not getting the best out of them there are so many things or your employer might think well actually is there something going on in their private life or at home that we don't know about so there's so many ways that it might be perceived by an employer but at the end of the day if it's deliberate an employer might view it as misconduct you know if you're sort of finishing off at the end of the day and not doing what you were meant to do by the end of the day and just sort of leaving it half done, you know, that could potentially result in a disciplinary offence or it could, for example, be a capability point. You know, your performance isn't up to scratch. What happened? What's going on with the dip? One thing that goes through my mind as I watch TikToks 
in my lovely little bubble of usually talking to people who love their jobs and want to do really, really well at their jobs is that are the people who are doing this lying, first off, right? Because like you say, if you're doing it, it would be quite private. Yeah, you so mean the TikTokers. Yeah, yeah. So why why would Who you goes go on put TikTok it out and says, "Oh, I can't be bothered. I'm doing like the absolute minimum for my job." You're don't they? Don't they right? see that? Yeah. So if people are putting those messages out there that are leading from it, I kind of feel like they just can't be honest, right? It can't be honest. Or if it is, is it that it's happening in in jobs where actually that it is okay to do what you're going to do? Because I guess for me, there is and and the video that I did in reply to this on TikTok. Um, is that there is a difference between jobs and careers. And Mm -hmm. there are jobs that I've done, you know, I've had part-time jobs where actually I look at it and think, yeah, okay, no one else is going to do all that extra stuff. Why should I, right? Have you not talking about your job in the toy shop, Sam? Yeah, toy shop, yeah. Um, Or or, um, lots of retail jobs and so on. Um, To be fair, I probably did still do stuff. But I I would certainly have days where I wouldn't be that bothered about it. And if I didn't, you know, want to do a whole load of folding um, of clothes uh, at the end of the day. Uh, whether I did or didn't kind of wouldn't really have a repercussion on what mm-hmm. I saw being my career a year from now. Mm-hmm. So there was less in it for me, right? Um, and I feel like if people want to do quiet quitting in their jobs, that is a short-term solution to a short-term problem. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like that's probably already happens a lot of the time anyway. Yeah. Um, so fine. I saw a the lot issue... online saying, well, this isn't a new thing. We've been doing it for years. Yeah. Some people were saying, you know, I've been doing the minimum for years just to get by. Why is this suddenly a new TikTok trend? Yeah, yeah. But then the other side of it is careers, right? Mm-hmm. So if you are if you are um, seeing yourself as somebody who is in a progressing career, then you are going to want to do things outside of your role to demonstrate that you can do things outside mm-hmm. of your role and therefore be given those great opportunities and be given that trust to take the jump and move up a stage or uh, um, or the extra exposure that might come with it or, or whatever that might be. The people who are selecting you as talent, succession planning, they want to see evidence that you can do more than just your role. Mm-hmm. So if you are in a career or even a vocation where you're seeing this being where you want to be for a long time. And when you leave, you want to be earning a lot more money than when you where you are now, then quiet quitting is a massive issue. But if the people who are kind of putting the narrative out there are doing jobs, it's not necessarily an issue for them. But we aren't dispelling that there's a difference between a job and a career. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I mean, you know, let's say you're in a junior role and what you really want is progression. If you are working really hard and as you say, showing that you can do that, you're really keen, you're motivated, you're willing, you know, you're a great team player. People are more willing to give you the opportunities to go out there and they're more willing to support you. The issue is where you said that, right, you're you're partaking in things, you're spending time with your team. All of that stuff is what would be deemed as like extracurricular, extra, extra hours, extra effort. Hey, so you have contracted me to do this job. You've told me you're going to pay me that to do this job. And now you expect me to do more than that and still pay the same. The view yeah. there is that that's toxic of the employer to expect more of you than what they've contracted you to do. So what would you say to someone who says, well, that's not fair. That's toxic. That's a toxic environment. Well, as somebody who has drafted a lot of employment contracts, Normally, you will see that it says in your contract, please do go check your contract if you know where it is. It will say that your duties are X role and whatever other reasonable duties that your employer might ask you to do. So for most of the time, it's not like you have a set, you know, these are the 10 bullet points. This is my job. Anything else I refuse to do. That is normally not the case for most people. Because if your employer asks you to do something that's maybe slightly related to your job or a slightly different task or, you know, something that's complementary, most of the time it's reasonable for them to ask you to do that if they have a good contract. So when you say reasonable, right, so then you're you're looking at that from a legal perspective, yeah. right? They can, right? Yeah, it's legally can. fair. Should they? Should they? I mean... I mean, I'm for yes, yeah. right? I can have an... I can have... I'm quite it happy to have a struggle with you. Yes, I think you should. The lawyer's answer of it depends. But... If you are in, you know, an administrative role and somebody asks you to do a task, a sort of thing, oh, you know, this is a bit beneath me or I can't be bothered or it's going to require a bit more thought. I personally think, I mean, 
I don't normally I don't really have a problem with that I mean equally as well I really enjoy my job and I like what I do so there is a sort of a below the surface there's a little bit of a an attitude that it's almost like people don't enjoy what they're doing and that is a, a different problem which is if you don't like your job then maybe you should think about doing something you do enjoy yeah that's interesting actually because I think maybe that's maybe that's the deeper thing behind this trend of um where we've seen the great resignation mm. um and then maybe we've seen people who would like to be doing something else but aren't ready to for whatever reason um and rather than this being a sort of consequence of not wanting to do things for your employer instead it's a consequence of you're doing a job that you don't want to do so reduce the impact of it but then I must say like a lot of it for me is often mindset in a job if you're doing a piece of work that you're you know not very excited about doing and determined to just come up with every opportunity you can to do as little of it as possible and and to kind of find shortcuts or excuses whatever you can to minimize that as opposed to going, oh, I really don't want to do this. Okay, how can I make it as good as I can? What mm. can I do? And like throw yourself into it. I find my actual enjoyment, my morale of the work that I'm doing is a lot dictated around my mindset as how I come into it. So almost if you go into this mindset of quite quitting, I feel like it's taking more energy away from you anyway. To think negatively, to think mm-hmm. how, oh, should I or shouldn't I? What am I going to do? Well, if they say that, I'm going to say that. And that feels exhausting to me. Yeah, I'm going to say, if anything, it feels like a really negative, quite draining attitude. If you're not happy in your job and you really despise being there that much, I mean, we spend a lot of time at work. Maybe, maybe it's time to find another job. Okay, so let's take the view of a manager. Right? Yeah. So a day-to-day manager, your middle manager, you've got a feeling that somebody in your team is quiet quitting. Yeah. What do you do? It's, I can imagine it's very tough if you've got a member of staff who's just sort of not really doing what you think they ought to because at the end of the day, that might create further work for the rest of the team. It might create more work for you trying to have to pick up after them. I'd keep an eye on it. Um, and I think the most obvious and most important thing is communication. Just sitting down, speaking to them. What's going on? Are you all right? I've noticed that, you know, maybe your standards have been slipping maybe you're not as motivated as you used to be because for all we know there may be something else going on under the surface that that your manager doesn't know about there may be a reason that you've decided to after covid and as i mentioned and mental health can be a massive factor in this so yeah i think communication is a very important factor here yeah so i think for me it's having conversations as humans Right. Right. This mm-hmm. view of like employer employee that kind of comes yeah. up with this messaging. It's like, no, we're all people like everyone's just a person going to work, trying to do their best every day. Yeah. People are trying to do what's right mm-hmm. for them in that given situation. So I think if you're, you know, if you're seeing that, I'd sort of suggest that managers sort of sit there and just say, what, what is it that you want to get from your role? How can I help you get that? You know, Do you want to do um, extra things? Like if you've got goals and actually if you don't, if you are quite comfortable, that's okay too. There are people, uh, lots of people who work in the city who have got to the point they're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And they still want to put everything into their role. But they don't necessarily maybe want to volunteer for as many things because they haven't got a next role that they're eyeing up. Mm-hmm. And with them, off, like quite often when we're doing career training courses and so on, I will hear back from them and they'll say, say is it okay that I'm comfortable doing what I'm doing? Because the messaging sort of always seems to be about aiming for your next job. Yeah. But but one thing that they do want is to make sure that they continue to enjoy their job. So they've worked out where they want to be, they're comfortable in that role. But if you still take it for granted you're comfortable in that role or the manager does, over time, inevitably the role will change because things are changing all the time anyway. So how do you make sure that that role is one that you are enjoying? And even that requires a conversation. Yeah, I think it is... As you say, it's a two-way thing there because if somebody's not happy in their role and they they want to understand what what are you hoping to get out of it, because let's say it comes to promotion time and you you know somebody who's been quiet quitting or you know whatever, let's say it comes to promotion time and that they don't get the pay rise they were hoping for or they don't get the bonus they wanted or then they don't get promoted. I think people should then reflect and say, well, actually, 
am I expecting that I would have been one of those people that would be put forward for promotion? Because if what you're hoping for is to progress, to be promoted into whatever role, then quiet quitting is not the way to go about it. But equally, if if you're not hoping for that, then and you are quiet quitting, then probably don't be too surprised. Yeah, because I, I feel like the narrative is TikTok or whatever platform, if you're looking at quiet quitting, if you're doing it, you're secretly winning. Like you've got an edge yeah. over everybody else. But it's like, hang on, like, there's not really an end to this race, right? <laughs> like yeah. your career is a long journey. We're going to be here a long you, time. Yeah, you might be like proud of yourself that you left at five o'clock instead of half five. But come next year when you're like, oh, when's my promotion coming? It's very hard to go back and fix all of those kind of mm. um, impressions that you've given out to people. Yeah. Impressions can be created very easily. You you can create a, an impression with your colleagues, with managers. People notice who will be there to help them and, and who isn't around, you know, when, when when you're asking for volunteers to, to help you out because you're in a bit of a tricky situation, people will see who's there to help them. So the TikTok that I posted on this, um, I've got some comments on it I'm going to share with you. Uh, and let's talk about their view. Essentially, the TikTok I posted was about how quiet quitting is quite short-sighted. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a difference between your job and your career. And you will find that if you don't do anything outside of your role or show those intentions to do so, you're probably going to not get the progression that you're expecting. <laughs> so here are the comments. And I've not seen any of these comments. So Deborah hasn't seen any of these comments, no. although you've seen the TikTok. But because you're not on TikTok, you could only see the video. You can't look at the comments. I've been watching many TikToks. My Instagram algorithm now will just be thinking that I'm desperately quiet quitting. <laughs> okay, so here we go. So here's the first comment. Those who move up are not the ones working hard, but the ones who do nothing and go above and beyond to show they're doing a lot. Your advice does not apply in the corporate world. Comment number one. Okay. So I guess on this one, I was like reading it initially and I was like, do you know what? I agree with you in half of this, Mm -hmm. right? And a lot of these comments, I agree with half of what they're saying. So those who move up are not the ones working hard, but the ones who do nothing and go above and beyond. Now, anyone that comes on any of my courses around Mm -hmm. career will know that I'm a big advocate for performance as well as image and exposure. So I absolutely agree. Like working hard on its own is not what gets you there. But the phrase, those who do nothing and go above and beyond. How can you, you do nothing and go above and beyond? Yeah, so you have to be performing and show they're doing a lot. And I think that's a bit that's a bit around image, right? And getting involved in other stuff. Yeah. So I'm like, yes, you're right. That does that, that does help, right? So the answer to that isn't, well, don't do anything then. The answer is show you're going above and beyond. Yeah. Because that's how you get there, right? It's a balance. How you're perceived in your job and your relationships are the most important thing for getting promoted. I kind of agree with that too. How you like how you are perceived yeah. in your job and your relationships are the most important thing for getting promoted. Now I I'm taking it as status quo, you're doing a good job. Yeah. Right? So it's not saying it's more important than doing a good job. Let's assume everyone's doing a good job because mm-hmm. like you say, if not, there's some underperformance issues. So absolutely the relationships and how you are perceived are very important to move on up, right? Yeah. We all know promotions are based on relationships. Most people go to senior management because they are liked so the best thing to do is always look busy even if you aren't how you're perceived is what gets you promoted okay yeah no I'm interested in this because maybe this is what somebody perceives looking at other people being promoted and that's what they think that their company values but I would have thought that it's not just about being liked and looking busy I would hope that there's a bit more substance in the promotion yeah, again, some of these bits, actually, they're saying that so they're negative. I agree with them, mm. right? Senior management should be liked. No, they shouldn't be like everyone's favorite person, so we promote them. Mm. As a they manager, yeah, you need to have, and you need to have empathy. You need to have, you need to be a leader where people are going to listen to you and follow you, right? Mm-hmm. So you need to have those relationship skills. Um, if you are, have sat behind your screen and not engaged with anyone in the organization, but worked really, really hard, you're not going to potentially be seen as management material because you haven't demonstrated those transferable skills into that role. Yeah, and I'm sure you have a lot to say about this, but I'm sure, you know, it will really depend on what job you're doing and what what skills are required across the insurance sector. There's so many different types of role and so many different types of skill sets that you're going to need for each role. So I think, yeah, it really does depend on what role you're doing and what role you're hoping to do. As soon as you're managing other people, you need to be able to listen to other yeah. people, engage with them, have their respect, and be able to influence them. 
Uh, but also make sure you motivate them and mm-hmm. make sure you make them feel secure in their role. So mm-hmm. those relationship skills are essential for managers. I think we see too many examples, and you probably see this come through mm-hmm. on the employment law side, of people being subject matter experts in fantastic technically. So we think, oh, because they are fantastic at underwriting, let's say, we'll make them head of this department. Oh my goodness, Sam, I see this all the time. <laughs> <laughs> And I guess that's kind of, that proves the point of why I think employers are doing the right thing by looking for demonstration of other skills outside your role. Because when you move on to a different role, there are different requirements and different skills and different factors for success. Yeah, it's the sort of thing that if someone's really good at sales, they think, you know what we'll do? We'll make this person a sales manager and then wonder why. But but they were so good at sales. Why are they not a good manager of other people? And you think, well, actually, that's sort of a slightly different skill set there. And that is where, you know, the training side of things really comes in, in terms of training people to be a good manager, because sometimes people just get promoted into that role and they're not quite sure how to do that. Well, I guess as well, like, so if we're looking at it in terms of if you're an employee, what kind of manager would you want? So I think no doubt we all want to learn from people. Mm -hmm. We all want to know that we are surrounded by people who are technically brilliant, but managing us We want people who are able to understand us Mm -hmm. and how to develop us and be flexible with us and encourage us and absolutely understand our role. You know, it it can be frustrating if you've got somebody managing you that doesn't understand enough about your role, but they don't need to understand it necessarily better than you if you're a subject matter expert in your position as Mm -hmm. well. So I guess where I look at it is if you are somebody who's quite quitting because you're looking around Mm -hmm. and you're seeing all these people progress who look as though they're spending time on the wrong things and the wrong things by this perception being relationship management extracurricular Mm -hmm. things and so on if you were then being managed by somebody who didn't invest in relationships and soft skills and that type of development would you not be unhappier in your role like do you not want your manager to be someone who has demonstrated they can do that Yes, but I don't think that my reaction to that would be to do quite quitting. Yeah. Um, Yeah, of course, you know, in every business, there are people who've got great skills in some areas, but not weaknesses in other areas. That's just human nature. But I don't really see how quiet quitting resolves that. So if you were mentoring somebody Mm -hmm. and that person says to you, I feel like I'm not being valued enough in my role. I'm probably Mm -hmm. not sure if this is where I want to stay or not. Mm -hmm. But while I work all that out, while I wait that out, I'm going to quite quit. What advice would you give them? Well, I think as well, motivating employees is a really important task. And that is also where the employer comes in. And I would be concerned if, if if somebody I was managing didn't feel very motivated or valued. That's something that I would take away separately to management and say, hey, Um, I'm a little bit concerned about morale. Is there anything we can do more generally in terms of, you know, engagement, training, basically bringing people back? Because it is a bit of a two way thing. And that's something that I've seen a lot on quite quitting commentary. It's not just always for the employee to be motivated and to feel their own way. And, you know, it is also for the employer to look around and say, well, what can we do to keep people engaged and to keep people motivated? You know, maybe. Uh, a bowl of fresh fruit doesn't always do the job. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think I think there's a broader thought there. And, you know, it, as you said, in terms of management and training and making sure people sort of stay involved and connected, especially in light of, you know, what's going on more generally with, with the great resignation, the numbers of people who were leaving to do other things or to move roles. I'd be really conscious of trying to retain talent. Yeah. And I guess, um, you know, I've seen it before where, you can have a really good morale and people who are going above and beyond and a handful of people doing what we would now describe as quite quitting. And then they're not seemingly to be any repercussions of that or recognition of the extra work that others are doing. Mm. And then you see some of the people who have previously gone above and beyond thinking, why am I bothering? I don't seem to be recognised for what I'm doing extra in comparison to what seems to be culturally acceptable here Mm -hmm. and I guess that recognition often comes in the form of things that are longer and further down the line Mm. like promotions progression what can employers do in a shorter term to reinforce the message that if you do extra things 
if you're going above and beyond, if you're building your network, if you're uh, volunteering to do presentations, if you're mentoring, uh, whatever it might be that they see as the good behaviors they want to see within their organization, how can they encourage um, people to feel as though it is recognized and it's not taken for granted? I actually think that sometimes there can be really easy, simple things that people just forget to do, like thanking people and, you know, a, a message, you know, a teams on teams, you've got like the praise function to thank people and to give people recognition. It doesn't cost anything and it just has such an impact making people feel valued. Simple things like that and just giving people recognition and making them feel like their input is really, you know, appreciated in the company. I think something as simple as that really does go a long way. And then if you are looking at this as a HR person, Mm -hmm. how do you enforce that across the organisation? Because you will no doubt see one team versus another team describe the same organisation in a very different way, Mm. simply because of the experience they get. And often a lot of the time is because of of their manager within that as well. So how can, rather than saying, this might work, try and do this, what can you do more centrally as a a HR department to try and avoid this? Yeah, that is a really interesting topic. I think you almost have a whole other podcast on cultures. Um, But I think there's so many things that you can do. I mean, a lot of companies have um, values and obviously values are only important to the extent that uh, people actually believe in them and adhere to them and understand their importance. So understanding as a company what you represent. And I think another thing that people often do is if they think that there's a lack in motivation, it might be a case of rolling out training in the business to sort of try to engage people and to bring them together. And, you know, things like team building events as well can be really worthwhile in getting people together and to talk about who are we as a company? What are we doing? Where are we going? just to bring people together to listen as well. I can just tell you about us, for example. What we did a few years ago is we all sat down and we had to think about what the most important values were to us. And we came up with a list of the values and what we thought that encompassed and how we thought we could live those values in terms of our everyday work. And we regularly refer to them. So, you know, for example, one of our values is caring. And to us, caring means uh, caring not just about um, each other within the team. It means caring about your clients, caring about the work, caring about the environment. It means a whole load of things. And when we have new starters, it's something that's really important to us that we communicate what our values are. So people know what's important to us. And we work together as a team to try to encourage each other. Mm. Yeah, you do actually raise a point there in terms of communication right from the word go interview I had a really interesting podcast conversation where the manager I think it was five guys in conversation yeah no doubt on the diary CEO because it's one of my favorite podcasts and he essentially said that in interview he tells people how hard the job is mm-hmm. um, and essentially almost tries to put them off it right because he doesn't want people coming in and going, oh, this is a lot harder than I thought. I'm going to leave, right? He wants people coming in going, gosh, this is going to be a challenge. I can do that, all right. so I'm going to keep going. Um, and I've actually taken that on myself. So as I interview people, all the things that are the worst things at work in uh, in mm-hmm. power development, I tell them at interview stage, because if it's going to put them off, I want it to put them off before rather than once they're in. And they are things like, you know, we don't have an IT department. You will be fixing your own printer. <laughs> like, yeah. like uh, All of the things that you might be surprised by when you come in and um, struggle with, like put them right at the off. Uh, so I guess in this stance, if you're saying, you know, there's certain expectations that you want people to do outside of the role, it's telling them that interview, saying yeah. like, you know, this is the expectation of the role. This is the values of the team. We really like people to turn up for that and so on. And if you feel like that's too much to ask for, then it's certainly too much to surprise on somebody once mm-hmm. they've started their job. So if it's too much to ask for at interview stage, yeah. then you're setting yourself up to failure if you bring it in later on anyway, yeah. I guess. So working out what that is, and like you say, articulating it right from the beginning, I think's really key there too. But then I was also thinking, celebrating successes more more publicly. I think one of the things that is hugely underutilized in organizations is things like intranet pages Mm -hmm. and internal communication yeah like you'll have people who sit in internal marketing who are desperately looking for content to include in their monthly newsletters or whatever might be Mm -hmm. 
And there will be examples of people who are doing a really good job. And if you say, actually, this person had this particular problem, they were able to fix it, or they came up this innovative Mm way, um, which was outside of what we've done, or they found this new um, solution for us, whatever it might be, you're doing the marketing department often a bit of a favor by by pointing them towards it. And then they can do a lot of that recognition for you in quite a meaningful way because the individual gets the recognition, but also you are setting a standard and a communication across the business that this is what good looks like for us. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a really good point. It's so easy to do as well to just sort of pat each other on the back and say, you did a great job. And I think saying to somebody one-on-one, you know, you did a really good job or, you know, really happy with what you did thank you for doing xyz but if you do it in a broader network if you do it for example on teams and so everyone sees and says you know you might not have known what this person did that was so amazing but you should know because it really demonstrates our values and shows what we're capable of do you think we are typical of our views in this conversation do you think that as much as like we have this noisy conversation on TikTok are we the silent majority or do you think I sit here as a HR career training person who always is like yeah let's do more and you're sat there as a Cambridge student employment lawyer highly caffeinated yeah like are are we typical so if we if we spin this round right what are Gen Z getting right with this um oh you've made it a generational thing oh it certainly is a generational trend on TikTok yes because it's on TikTok but I've seen lots of people who are not oh, Gen Z saying, okay. you know what? We've been doing this for years. You've not created something new. Oh, that's true. Okay. Well, I guess you know, advocating like, it as though it's a good behaviour. I'm thinking of talking. Yeah, but I think there have there are people that have been doing that for a long time. I think for me... We're just good, um, giving it a new name. Yeah, it's but then if you look at this from a HR side, right, those would be your... Um, your, your people that you can guarantee are going to be able to to be there and do the same job and sort of be comfortable sticking with it. And you need that. You need that in an organisation. I don't see that as the quiet quitters. For me, I see the quiet quitters as the people that were doing things before and have now stopped. Not the people who are quite happy doing what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Just and getting on with it, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I'm seeing this more as a... Um, it's almost it's It's almost like it's not a tactic for you to just how you want to live your life and, and go to work. It's more of a quiet strike, right? It is. Like a, like... It feels like a bit of a rebellion. Yeah. So I, I feel like the people, sometimes people who are doing it, I'm like, oh no, like that doesn't match with what you're telling me your goals are right? or what I'm seeing from mm-hmm. you is what you want to get from your career. You can't, the two things don't go hand in hand. So it's not people who are quite comfortable, you know, and I've had phases in in, in my time where I'm like, actually right now I'm going to do a little bit less for whatever reasons. Hey, like I think that's okay. And I think that is natural that, that people, down. you know, have good, good times at work. And I'm not saying if you are not feeling great that you're being lazy. I'm not saying that at all. But people do have dips, you know, depending what's going on in your personal life or other commitments you've got or things going on that you need to be concerned about. But I, I agree with you. I think it's more of a conscious decision to be like, I'm taking a step back. Yeah. So then where I wonder if they're getting it right, I guess with the same argument of the four day week, right? Mm -hmm. If we look at the four day week and whether or not people think that's good, that in itself becomes a bit of a divisive conversation about from where your starting point is and so on. But I think the thing we can all agree on is we'd all like a three day weekend, right? Whether or not like we we can deal with working, how we'd work less over those Mm -hmm. days or, or not less or however that might look. We all agree on the fact, yeah, we want we want more days. And I guess Mm -hmm. as you listen to people are quite quitting, you're like, well, we all agree that we want people to have a really healthy well-being. We all agree that people shouldn't be doing more than what um, what is not necessarily expected, but what is reasonable. Mm -hmm. We 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 agree that progression should be transparent. You should know how to get promoted in your organisation. Those unwritten rules should not be unwritten. People should be talking about those. All of that I agree with. So I guess the narrative sometimes of what they think might be encouraging them to quiet quit, I, I agree with a lot of that. What I don't agree with is the action, okay? the, the idea that by quiet quitting, you're going to get a positive consequence that's any different to to carry on as normal. But I do think it is kind of healthy that people across companies, across industries are benchmarking how much they do mm-hmm. and the impact of that. And I guess one example that we are seeing is when you talk about the big four, 
Some of the big four in particular, we won't name any of them, have had a very, very bad press through social media, through people who've worked for them and Mm -hmm. left or currently working for them and hiding their faces and saying very negative things about the working expectations. And because of that, we've seen an actual public acknowledgement that that isn't sustainable, that's not okay, and now they're recruiting more people. And actually, the way that they recruit and the way that people work in those organizations has been the same for decades yeah and this is the first generation that has actually made them do any do anything about it yeah so arguably are they getting it right yeah no I see what you mean that's a a good point and I have I mean people are saying look they don't want to be a slave to the corporate machine and that is one way of looking at it and things are changing and also maybe with COVID as well people have been spending a lot more time at home and working differently and maybe seeing their family a bit more and going for walks at lunchtime. And maybe they just see it as getting the work-life balance right. Maybe that is one way to look at it. Um, and especially because a, a lot of employers are maybe saying, you know what, working from home was great, but we want you back two, three days a week. And um, maybe people are saying, you know what, it worked well before, we don't want to do that. And some of the examples I've seen of quite quitting is people saying, every week coming up with a reason for why they don't have to come into the office because they sort of see it as their way of drawing a line and saying making their own work-life balance to to basically work how they want to it's like parent-child dynamic isn't it psychology wise right the parents putting in stricter rules or saying Mm -hmm. like you you have to do this and then the child reply of of coming up with a, a way of getting away with it without actually having a conversation whereas actually both parties so if we look at the parent child um psych- psychological dynamic the, the goal is for neither to be a child or a parent mm-hmm. right because if you act like a parent people will respond to you like a child if you act like a child people respond to you like a parent mm-hmm. what you want is for you to have an adult to adult conversation yeah and that's where i guess companies giving people some degree of choice so so you know not necessarily saying pick whichever days you come in but maybe saying this is the expectation of how often we need you to be in the mm-hmm. office. You have some degree of choice over how you do yeah, that. Yeah, we have an anchor day. Or... Yeah, yeah. So then the employee doesn't feel like they're being parented. They feel like they are an adult in that conversation mm-hmm. as well. Uh, but you, you are creating an environment where both parties are are equal. I mean, is equal the right word? Because you know, at the end of the day, it should be equal. You, you, you should feel balanced that what you're putting in and what you're getting out is is. Well, at the end of the day, both the employer and the employee should be happy with what the situation is and what the deal is. And, you know, if you're not happy with the deal and you feel resentful of your employer for making you come into the office however many days, you know, these sorts of things, that's where you can start to sour the relationship. Sometimes it's the little things that build up over time that make people want to quite quit. You know, it was great. I was working from home and now they want me to come into the office. And what's more, they want me to do this, whereas I never had to do this. But, you know, someone in my team has left. So there's more work and it's it's not fair that I now have to pick up their work as well. And I have a controversial thought that you uh, may or may not like. So as we have all seen, you can't really get away with it watching the news. There's a lot of companies are struggling financially and depending on what sector they're in and, you know, where they operate. I think in the next six months, a year, however long, I think a lot of companies are going to face financial challenges and there's going to be a lot of pressure on them to make cuts and maybe to make redundancies. Now, I wonder if that will impact people who are going with the um who are deciding to go on on the quiet quitting trend because they might look ahead and think, you know what, you know, maybe they were made redundant at the end of um, COVID. And I think I wonder if people would look, be looking ahead and thinking, you know what, my company is going to be making cuts because of the financial challenges more broadly. So I wonder if maybe I ought to just step up a little bit more and maybe it's not a good time for me to be quiet quitting. That's a controversial view that I've not really seen anywhere, but yeah, I, I wonder I mean, if it's going to make people reflect. Yeah, I, I guess as well, it does depend on your industry, doesn't it, in terms of how the economy impacts your roles. In insurance, um, we are uh, arguably one of the most recession-proof industries. Yeah. Well, employment um, law too. Mm, so, yeah. So, become an employment lawyer and work in insurance. <laughs> or become an insurance employment lawyer. Exactly, there you go. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that can always be a risk. 
But I just wonder if if you look around and you see a few companies are, are making redundancies or, you know, not doing so well financially, facing challenges. I just wonder if it will make people reflect on how visible they want to be and whether they do want to make that extra effort. I wonder if there might be a same reason, different implication, that companies look at the fruit bowl, right? <laughs> look at all of the like trivial things they put in around the office for good spirit. Yeah. And to cut costs, they pull those things out and then pull in those things out, make individuals, sometimes those those things, uh, putting them there doesn't add a huge emotive value, but taking them away has a huge impact. Yeah. I wonder the value of a fruit bowl versus a manager who gives you feedback and motivates you and shows you how valued you are. Well, of course, we'd pick the manager, right? Of I course you would. Fruit bowl. <laughs> but you pick the manager... But if I've got both and you take my fruit bowl away, I, how dare you take my fruit bowl away and expect me to stay working an extra hour? Uh, I'm sure there have been some real surveys on this with some proper results to show what people value the most in the workplace. Mm. I do yeah. not have them to yeah. hand. So I don't think, yeah, I'm not thinking it adds to your value, but I feel like it's the emotive thing. Taking, taking something away, away that was so, there. Yeah, people I notice. can remember, for example, when uh, when there's been changes like, flights drop in from business class to economy people be very frustrated about it rather than very grateful that the business class was there to begin with which for anyone hearing it you think well that was lucky you had that right if you had that and it got taken away huge emotive impact well I think of things like um you know the sort of benefits and things like team lunches yeah dinner yeah Christmas dinners yeah but I think as well things with team lunches and Christmas dinners it's not really the value of the food and the whatever you drink it's it's the value of spending time with your colleagues and getting to enjoy their company so the reason we started having this conversation is because you did an article on this on LinkedIn what made you do the article on LinkedIn had any of your clients mentioned it or had you just been seeing it yourself on social media I had heard people talking about it and I haven't specifically heard clients using the language of it but I do think it I think it is a very interesting topic because I know that I feel like it's there, but it's sort of below the surface. I feel like people don't really label themselves at work as, oh, I'm a quiet quitter. I think it's quite it's quite a taboo thing to do, probably. But um, I have heard of it. I I haven't really heard of anyone owning up to it. So I think maybe it's only on TikTok that people do it. Mm. And that's where I wonder if they actually really do it or they're just doing it for the likes. Yeah. Well, I just don't understand. Maybe these people, um, about it. yeah, and you, people are just doing it for the likes. Yeah, no, I think that is possible. I think people would do anything for the likes. I don't know if it is a thing that really happens in practice. Maybe people make smaller steps and are not quite at the level of quiet quitting, but maybe people do it on a more subtle level and they say, you know what, I'm not going to volunteer to do this thing that because I, I volunteered for it every month. Someone else can stand up for a change and do it. Yeah. Maybe do yeah. it on a more subconscious on a limited level. And I think like, you know, there's some merit that I like to being conscious about what you volunteer for. In fact, that mm. is one of the things again I, I, I train people on um in our women with presence course is being conscious that you're not the one um always volunteering for what we call the non promotion work. Okay. So women being as twice as likely as, as men to volunteer to be the one who takes the notes or yeah, books the lunch exactly or what the meeting room. Yeah. And the that's, one that pauses the meetings. Yeah, yeah. So I think like taking a conscious um, step to pay attention to how much you're volunteering in comparison to your colleagues around that, I think is healthy. Uh, but taking an attitude of I'm not volunteering for anything anymore is probably too much of a dramatic change. Mm-hmm. And I also say is if you're going to start doing less, tell your manager why mm-hmm. and make sure that they're not trying to jump to their conclusions about what that change of behavior is so make sure you have a collaborative conversation with them around it so they can also help out and say actually does someone else want to take the minutes this time um, and make sure that yeah. kind of work's been shared around um so yeah I think I, I think sometimes that's like that, that that's healthy to be a little bit more conscious of the other time of course is when people are looking for a job and again I don't think that's unhealthy like I think if you are quiet quitting in the sense of you're you're not going to do anything more than you need to because you're looking for a job somewhere else and eventually you're going to go somewhere else anyway the end goal is not going to be hugely impacted by that as long as you are doing enough to maintain your reputation because it is a small market things do get round. oh yeah i completely agree the insurance sector is very small and uh people know each other 
if you're in a small industry, you may end up working with that with people again who already know you. And conversely, if you are the person who, for example, I've got um, a colleague who um, who once we had something happen on a case late at night and she was the first. I didn't even ask her. She stepped in to help me. She didn't need to. It was it was evening for her as well. She stepped in to help. What can I do? I'll do this. I don't care what it is. Let me let me share the, the work burden with you. And I remember that and I'm grateful for it. But then are we going back to this kind of view of should that be how we work as a society? We have a lot of clients who are in the US. So it's quite normal for me in the evening that I might still get emails coming through because someone might be in California and they're seven hours behind. And if something comes in, I might need to keep an eye just to be like, yeah, got it. Yeah. You know, or I'll come back to you tomorrow. Or if there's something I can quickly respond to so that they don't have to wait a whole day, then I'll do that. But it depends where you work. It depends where your clients are. Yeah. And I guess it comes back to the comment of if you're told that at interview, if you're told at interview, we have international clients, sometimes, you know, it'll be expected that you um, at least acknowledge emails in the evening. I think as well, it's the fact that I want to deliver a good service to the people I work with. For me, it's really important that people come to me for advice and I want to give them the best advice in the most timely way. I want to help people to resolve whatever problems they have. Mm, Yeah. Do you understand the underlying reasons why people might quite quit? But I can't pretend it's how I operate. Yeah, and that's it. Like, I'm empathetic when people are in a job that they don't feel valued in. I would probably give them a whole bunch of suggestions to what to do about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And quite quitting would be nowhere on those suggestions. Yeah, I think boundaries is important. I understand that. Mm. But I don't think that a full-on quiet quitting is is the answer. So as an employee, I did put our officers on, for sure. As mm-hmm. an employee, I took six weeks off one at one time, took a whole sort of sabbatical and very rarely checked my emails in those six weeks. Mm. For me, it's always been work, work how it works for you, right? And there were times where, there were days where I probably should do some emails and I don't. And there are days where I probably shouldn't do emails and I do. But then I guess this is back to the conversation of job, career, vocation. I'm in a vocation. Like I love, I'm so fortunate that I've been able to work out a way of having Mm. a business. And not everyone is that lucky. A lot of people, they're just doing the job because they need to pay the bills. And they don't have the luxury of being able to do whatever they want, whatever, because of training or feeling that they're not in the right job and Maybe that is why why people quite quit because they just don't love it as much as you do. And I guess this is where maybe where back to the comment of are we are we in a bubble yeah. where we do both do something we love? Yeah, we don't. It's not so much of a big ask. Actually, this is probably a really key point. Whenever I stayed late, like as an employee, like when I was in, as an employee, it was a choice. Like it was because yeah. I wanted to do something. I wanted to get ahead. I wanted to have time to do that extracurricular thing that was in my mm-hmm. diary that I really wanted to get to, or that lunch that I really wanted to go to. So I chose. No one ever asked me to, um, and I was doing that because I wanted to do this extra because I loved my job. Yeah, and also you wanted to do a really good job. And if you were delivering training when you were in the job that you were in before you did this, you wanted people to be happy and to take the most away from it. Yeah, but then as I think about it, of course, like I was in that one particular role for years and years mm-hmm. of course there were ups and downs like there were definite times where I did not um enjoy my job as much as others mm-hmm. and my performance absolutely dipped but that was my choice like I yeah. chose to dip it because I didn't feel like I was getting the reward back so I didn't want to put more in than probably I needed to so yeah. I probably in, in reality thinking about it I have quite quit in the past yeah I can think of Before at least it was fashionable. It, it wasn't do, do something deliber- I was doing to get revenge on progression and, and so on. It was something I was doing because I just didn't love my job at that time. And a lot of people will say that quiet quitting is not underperforming. They're just not doing extra. They are doing what's expected. Oh, absolutely. If you're quiet quitting, you are ticking everything on your job description. There is no way that anyone can say you're underperforming. Mm-hmm. Um, the issue, the conversation is more like to be around things like attitude that are much harder to pinpoint and evidence yeah. in employment lawyers' point of view. So it's complex. It's not always straightforward. And there's always a lot going on that people can point to. And sometimes it's just very small things. As you say, you can't really, you just can't pinpoint. Mm. So Deborah, we always end these episodes with a piece of advice from the guest. So people looking to progress in their careers, 
what advice would you give them that's either helped you or you think um, is meaningful and helpful for others looking um, at advancing their careers? Okay, Sam, that is a very good question. Um, I would say the best thing that I that I would recommend is get feedback from people that you're working with. The most useful feedback that you can get is going to be at the time. And not only get the feedback, but listen to it, be receptive and always think about what you can do to improve. When you say people you work with, do you mean like peers as much as managers? Like, is it a 360 view? Yeah, no, that's a good point. The thing is, for me, is I don't often work at people of my same level. Um, So for me, it would be managers and also people who are more junior than you. If you've got people who report into you to just say once in a while, how are you finding things? When I ask you to do something, is it clear? You know, do you feel like I give you a good enough feedback? Is there anything that I can improve on as your manager? So I think it's important to get feedback from people both more senior and more junior than you. And not only that, but to listen to it. Even if you don't agree with it at first, think about it and see what you can do to respond to it in the right way. I'm going to ask you a question off that, right? If you've got someone that reports into you and you say to them, is there anything I can do differently? How often do you get an answer that's not, no, yeah, everything's great? Yeah, that's actually, it's easier said than done, isn't it? But I mean, I hope that if anyone that I uh, manage, I, I I hope that they would be honest with me. And I hope that I'm not so scary that people can't be honest. Mm. To be honest, actually, sometimes people will say, I didn't really understand that. Can you explain that in a better way? Or can you explain that clearer to me? What do you really mean? And I suppose that is somebody's subtle way of saying to you, you know, sometimes maybe your instructions aren't very clear. Mm-hmm. So maybe yeah. it's reading between the lines if you've got someone a bit more junior. Yeah, I have um, a couple of like go-tos for feedback conversations because I find generally if 90% of what you're doing is really, really good, people don't really want to like pick holes in the 10%. They just let the 10% No, you don't work with lawyers, Sam. <laughs> well, my, my, my phrases recommend are the ones that people actually get at school now, right? So, hey, what am I doing well? As your manager, what am I doing well? And... How could I do even better? It's even better if, because it's much easier. If someone says, how could it be even better? You can give that criticism Mm -hmm. without taking away from the compliment. Whereas if you say, is there anything I'm doing wrong? Is there anything else I should do? It kind of implies that you weren't the full package to begin with. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm very direct. I would love, you are as well. I know we talked about this before, Sam. But, and I sometimes have asked you for feedback. And sometimes one of my favorite things is that when I ask that, you give me the feedback and I love that but I think it's really important to remember that people are very different in how they deliver feedback how they receive it so maybe that is something for people like us who are very direct and you know we want the negative feedback keep it coming because that will only make us better I think that's something for us to remember that other people are not so comfortable with that don't treat people how you want to be treated treat them how they want to be treated you do I I know we've talked about this before and I'm not doing a deliberate plug, but don't you do a training session on this? Yeah, yeah, literally. I was I, like, I, one of my I, most I yeah, favourite things. It's like, you just assume you're right and therefore everybody looks at the world the same way you do. Um, and then you get frustrated when they don't receive your messages how you intended. But actually, they, they were listening for a whole different message in that. Yeah, and I think that's something we've talked about before like with my colleagues is, you know, when you're working with different people, people like to be have things delivered in a particular way or even just the way that somebody might do a project it is so different and also for us if we're working with clients some of our clients like things delivered in a very soft way other people are like just give me the bullet points I don't really care about the nuance just tell me how it is and other people are like you know you need to softly softly you know and sometimes you've got to be the best you know if you're working with a client you've got to adapt to their style so yeah that is a good point as well I actually do want to um, talk to you separately about your training because I would love that sort of thing. <laughs> well, we'll do that. We'll do that another time. Really? At the Ned. Yeah, obviously. About time we did a, time we did a, a coffee at the Ned. Absolutely. And you can come to our new offices. Come see us. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I'm very excited about them. They look brilliant. Yeah. Okay. Come by. All right. Well, thank you so much, Deborah. Um, no problem. Pleasure to speak as always. Interesting to put this topic uh, into into a little bit more practical kind of scenarios and and come out with I don't know if I come out clearer out of the end of it but at least we've given it some thought uh we'll put your details and the details of GQ Littler in the uh, show notes as well 
anyone wants to follow up with you yeah. or um, always happy to chat all right all right see you later